Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. I have this neighbor, and uh, he smokes cigarettes. He smokes cigarettes outside. I would occasionally talk to him while we were both out there smoking. He started to talk in this heavily Russian accent about how he has something that's, that's worth a lot of money. He comes back up to my apartment a couple minutes later, just brings in a duffel bag. If I could hold on to it for him for a couple of weeks while he was out of town, that'd be great. He starts taking out these books and books of stamps. He had stated that they were somewhere between like one and two million. These are wildly expensive stamps. Why on earth would you ask me to hold this ridiculously expensive stamp collection? And, and his words were, you don't know me and I don't know you, and you have nothing against me. I'm assuming, which is what he said. I said, no, of course not. And, and he said, he said, right, good. And how long has it been now? It's been months. <laughs> what on earth happened, right? I know his previous address. And you don't have his last name? No. And you said he was Russian, right? Penny Blacks could be worth up to 30,000 pounds. Who knows what else is in here then? There's also this article, one of these Penny Blacks being stolen from a collector. When you went to the police station, you didn't tell him you had these, did you? Or did you? It's a frightening prospect to get close to the guy who stamps these up. They're not gonna have any issues going after you and getting rid of you. <laughs> in this strange, endemic world of stamp collecting, I don't know what I'm doing. Is that a tattoo? It is. That's my father's initials. He was a con man. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 352. Out now on digital is The Penny Black, a documentary that follows Will, the estranged son of a con man who receives a stamp collection worth millions of dollars from his enigmatic Russian neighbor who promptly disappears, leaving Will to fight temptation and paranoia while investigating the mystery of where these stamps came from a detective story and character study told in the form of a documentary. The Penny Black is an incredibly engrossing and crafted film that is sure to hold your attention throughout. And I'm glad to say joining me today is the film's directors, Joe Saunder and producer, Alexander Greer. Joe and Alex, I thank you both very much for joining me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you for having us on. So, Joe... As mentioned at the start of this movie, you guys came across this story. You're both out at a brunch with a bunch of friends. Um, Will was there as, as, was there as well. You haven't met him before. This is the first time you guys meet him. And he shares this story, as I can explain in the intro, the whole thing about he had a neighbour, a uh, Russian guy, um, kind of intimidating, they're having smokes, they're having drinks. He gives him these bags. I think it was like a, a duffel bag full of stamps. They ends up being with millions of dollars and then the guy just disappears um but when you meet him at that time it was just well, this was a very kind of fresh situation wasn't it um about was it say about a, a, a week or so into what happened with will but before uh this uh, came to your attention exactly yeah it it, it it happened a week before and rome and his neighbor had said he was coming back in two weeks so we had a week 
uh, until he was supposed to come back. And the story was so kind of sensational that I thought, Hey, let's, let's, you know, let me come over and I'll interview you and, you know, take a look at these stamps. And then, you know, he comes back, maybe I interview him and it's just this little short doc about odd things that happened in LA. And of course he never came back, which, you know, the story ran then for six years. Alex, as a, a producer, a filmmaker, is this, you know, is it, you, do you usually have, you, um, both uh, you and Joe, do you guys usually have your ears to the grindstone seeking out kind of stories like this? Does that something that usually happened that something might just pop up in conversation or just come out of nowhere and then you'd be like, hey, there might be something in there and you just kind of follow those breadcrumbs and see where it goes? You know, um, I'll, I'll give a lot of credit to Joe here because this we 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 started this like seven years ago at this point, and uh, I've grown a lot as a producer over the course of that time. Uh, and I think I've started to develop a sense of keeping my ears open for stories. Uh, Joe, like Joe, knew what this was when he heard it, and he knew to like stick to it. And I followed Joe down that rabbit hole. But uh, now, like I do keep my ears open all the time. And I'll say it's amazing how many fantastic stories come across everybody's purview on a daily basis that we just like dismiss because, you know, we figure out, okay, that's an interesting anecdote and we let it go. But Mm -hmm. if you dig in like Joe did here and like I did with him and like really unearth the material behind it, you can find amazing stuff. I think everywhere. Joe, when it came to Will himself, he's so vital in the whole process of this documentary. You need him to be involved in all of that. And this thing that you thought might be a short film that take might take a couple of weeks, as you said, went on for how long? Six years. When you have someone like Will involved today, he's just a regular guy, caught up in this extraordinary situation. He's got a day job. He's got a he's got relationships. He's moving constantly. I think he moved like four or five times throughout the whole thing. All the stresses that comes with that. How do you, as a filmmaker, keep him motivated? Keep him involved in the whole process of it? Because I'm sure somewhere down the line, he might have thought this guy's not coming back. It's I got the stamps and. Uh, you know, it's not my film anyway, so why should I uh, keep Barbara going on with this project? Exactly. And yes, he he was certainly having those thoughts. He was certainly reluctant sometimes when we wanted to shoot. He certainly seemed done with the project several times. Um, <clears throat> keeping him motivated was probably one of the more um, uh, difficult things of this whole project, really. Um following the mystery was kind of fun and exciting and uh you know turning over rocks you know was always so much fun but the really difficult part was keeping will engaged some of the time the very at the very beginning he was he was on board and we were doing it together and he was excited and then yeah like after year two he stopped he kind of lost that excitement um to the point where you know alex and i would have to bribe him with dinners to get him to do a shoot. We go, Hey, let, you know, let's, let's meet out for dinner and we'll talk about what we're going to do the next day or what we want to do. And, um, we, we learned that that helped. Uh, but also just, you know, a lot of times we were talking about sensitive information, you know, mm. personal information about Will and his family and just trying to create that level of trust with him that, you know, similar to what you did before we started this, you know, if, if, 
if you give any spoilers, you know, just let you know and you'll edit that out later. Um, it was a similar strategy with Will. You know, it's, it's like, listen, we're in this together. We're a team. You know, this is us doing this documentary, even though at times that was, a, you know, that, that was uh, said just to motivate him because it sometimes it felt like it was very much Alex and I versus Will. And um, but trying to keep that trust with him and letting him know that, you know, he's giving him the illusion that he's in control mm-hmm. was really uh, one of the biggest assets we had was just to keep keep, you know, we can't do this without you. This is, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Just whatever you needed to do really just to keep him on board and uh, giving him a sense of control, I felt was always uh, a good motivation for him. Alex, I'm interested. I want to add here too, sorry, real ahead. quick, sorry. Because yep. uh, I, I don't know, if Joe, if you've suppressed this memory or if, uh, uh, or not, but uh, dinner became like a pretty common thing we would bribe Will with. But at a certain point, um, we had to bribe him by helping him paint a mural on the side of a restaurant at like six in the morning on a weekend because Will had created a company at this point in time that had like four, he was always making different companies, like different interesting companies. His his hustle was really hard to pin down. And at a certain point, uh, his business was, uh, as he described it, like a four-armed approach. It was like branding, marketing, social media, and murals. Hmm. So he spent a lot of time painting murals with an artist that he knew. And I guess he was making money off of it. But to get him to do an interview one day, he was running behind on a mural. And the only way he would let Joe and I film him is if we came and painted for half of a day. Is the mural still up? Is it still there or has it been painted ever since then? Probably. I, I, I see it all the time. It's in, it's in Culver City in Los Angeles next to a uh, restaurant called Cava. If anybody in LA is listening to this, it's like a, it's like a teal set of stripes. Look for teal stripes next to Kappa. <laughs> we said we said we would do it if we could if we could film us <laughs> helping him do it, which we did. We just never used the footage. But I, I, I just another quick point to to this. Um, the memory I did suppress until you said that, Alex. I started thinking like, oh, memory am I suppressing? And this is one that I just recalled, and it was it was probably my worst my worst emotional moment on this whole project was when we were shooting with Will shaving his head and his beard and oh he didn't want to do it. Um, and, you know, trying to keep continuity in this thing with him constantly sh- changing the way his, his face looked mm. was really hard. And I think he was doing it kind of as a subtle, like, to be subtly combative towards us, he would grow his beard out and they would change it. And like, you know, and, and uh, it's not too distracting in the documentary, thank God, but in the trailer it is. But um, he was, we asked him if he would mind sh- like shaving a little bit just to kind of get us back to a recognizable will. He didn't want to do it. And he finally said yes. And we came over to his apartment and he was drunk hmm. and he was still drinking and uh shaved his head and was just like making all these snide comments to us as he was doing it then shaved his beard and he was making snide comments and then when he was done he he pulled out the vacuum and handed it to me while i'm still shooting and said okay i think uh you can go ahead and clean this up oh lord <laughs> and i was like i'm not cleaning this up goes, yes you are or i'm not doing this anymore. Uh, and then and then i looked at alex and i was like alex you clean that move no 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 
no, it's your job. You're cleaning this up. And so I had to vacuum and I kept the camera rolling. It was my like way of dealing with it. I kept the camera rolling and first person vacuumed his, uh, his bathroom, but it was, you know, it was a real low moment in my, in my career. I don't know about YouTube. But I think uh, the uh, content of uh, you guys painting the mural and vacuuming here off the floor, make a good deleted scenes in, in the upcoming D- uh, Blu-ray and DVD. Yeah, we 100% need to put that on the website, Joe. Yeah, we've got we've got a collection of deleted scenes on the website that kind of help build build the story and reinforce the story. But I don't have too many outtakes like that that are just kind of, you know, tangents, but I, mm. I, sh- I should start putting those up. Yeah, Alex, I mentioned in my in my introduction how this documentary feels so much like a detective story. There are moments in the film which you two have to kind of play gumshoe in a sort of way, didn't you? Um, what was it like kind of doing that? Because, you know, the role of a documentarian, of course, I would say you're just there to watch the events unfold, but you kind of had to step in there. And when things weren't looking the way that were looking and suspicions were raised, you had to kind of just get in there and just say, you know what, we got to find out what's going on here. And I found it so very interesting. Yeah, most definitely. This movie was an unwitting masterclass in reckless investigation, I think. Um, like we had no idea what we were doing at all. Um, I mean, like you see, you see that, you you see that like in, in the bones and in the subtext of the movie and that Joe and I go out and hire a private investigator and we spend like an inordinate amount of time, like driving around town, searching databases, doing all these things. When like what ultimately leads us to finding where Roman is, is going back to the original apartment and accidentally having a conversation with a neighbor. Mm. So like, yeah, we definitely had to step into the shoes of a gumshoe. Uh, They were just very clunky on us and we had no idea how to walk in them. But we figured stuff out. I think towards the end, I mean, damn, like I, I definitely know more about trying to hunt down a person now than I did seven years ago. Um, But it was very uncomfortable to learn that. I'm just curious, the person who you're trying to find, the the Roman, the um, Russian man, he's a smoker. I don't know what it's like in America, especially LA. Here in Australia, like our smoking levels have really decreased quite a bit. Um, there was a big kind of like a push to like a health issue push in regards to it. Is, is it easier now to find a smoker now? Um, is it more of a rare sight these days? Is it these, say, maybe 20 years ago when everyone had, had a pack of cigarettes? I'm I'm in New York right now, and uh, Joe, you used to live in New York, and and you smoked in New York. Joe, guess how much a pack? I, I bought a pack of cigarettes for a friend yesterday. Guess how much a pack of cigarettes costs in New York now? Fifteen dollars. Seventeen dollars for a pack of cigarettes. A cigarette. I know. And Sorry, I, j- I jumped ahead. Joe, Joe, you can you can go back. Oh no, I, I was going to say, um, you know, I, I hadn't thought about it like that, but I definitely think it helped us find Roman because his signature was smoking. So when we were staking out that area of West Hollywood, trying to find, trying to find him, that's what we were looking for. Cause we didn't know what he looked like. We had, we had no photographic evidence of what he looked like. We had a vague description from Will. And uh, so really we were just looking for smokers (laughs) and there weren't that many. There was a couple, I think, I think I got one on camera that we used in the dock, but um but yeah, once we like, I that, there's that shot in the documentary when we were kind of in the car and shooting towards where we thought Roman was. He was behind a wall, and this just puff of smoke comes out, yeah, which is backlit by cars coming in the other direction. 
And it was so it's such a beautiful shot, uh, completely coincidental. But and um, must I say, very much goes in line with the whole kind of gumshoe detective thing as well. Because when you think of those classic detective stories, you see Bogart with a puff of smokes and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a really kind of uh, tied in there, really, really well. I really like that. This is one of those things that, like, you know, we we people because this is such an insane story, people doubt the authenticity of it. And this is one of those things where, like. I can see why people would, because like, as we were searching for Roman when he was a ghost, like the thing that like everybody said about him was that he was always outside smoking cigarettes. And it's such like, it's it's almost such a cliche. Like there's that screenwriting book, the Save the Cat screenwriting book, where they mm-hmm. tell you like, give give your characters a limp and an eye patch, like something like identifiable and visual. And like smoking is one of those things that's like so smoking in 2020 is one of those things that's such like a, a limp in an eye patch that you wouldn't think that it would actually be a realistic, identifiable characteristic of a person. But like even when we finally did that stakeout where Roman like, you know, shows up uh, out of nowhere, the very first thing that he does when getting out of the car is sitting down and having a cigarette on the sidewalk. It's insane. Joe, how much of this has to do with the film being set in Los Angeles. It just I've spoken to spoken to people from LA for for years now in regards to the films, documentaries included, and the stories that you hear. It just feels like the like on any corner of any 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 street in Los Los Angeles, you can throw a stone, you can find a story. So many characters there, so many so much history, so many things going on. How much of of all of this has to, do you think has to do with Los Angeles just being just this place that really kind of attracts all sorts of people, sorts of fascinating people and dangerous people and the stories that they bring with them? I, I think it's 100% a story of Los Angeles and things that happen in Los Angeles as much as anything because I just moved back from New York and this story doesn't happen in New York. People are too cynical. Mm. People are, are, you know... First of all, nobody would give anybody else uh, that amount of trust to give them a, a bag of stamps. Like, I, I don't care what kind of trouble you're in. Like, you, you do something else. That just doesn't happen. Like, in New York, in, in L.A., there's something about this town that has something to do with, like, uh, um, like dream, dreamers and, uh, like, not in the immigration sense, but but people who just have a certain amount of delusion mm. <laughs> and, and live here uh, because they're around other people that share in this kind of delusion. And um, I'm one of these people and Alex is one of these people too. And, you know, but there, there is, there is, and Will is definitely one of these people. He came from Minnesota seeking out this kind of attitude and culture and Roman, I have a feeling Maybe he didn't seek it out, but he certainly felt at home here where you could just go to, to the steps of your apartment complex, smoke a cigarette and fascinate somebody with some crazy story you have. Or, uh, you know, and same with Will. I, I really think Will and Roman are very similar people in terms of their attitude and how they navigate the world. And um, the conversations they must have had smoking cigarettes together um, it certainly drew them close enough for Roman to, to you know, start the story mm. Alex I'm curious about the world of of stamp collecting I'm sure considering the value of the stamps that you guys had at and you went to different conventions etc what's the world of stamp collecting like now because uh, these days the 
what people collect is in and it kind of blows my mind is um cards pokemon cards i don't know mm-hmm. if you if you guys watched that debacle there was a boxing match on the weekend between mayweather and um logan paul but logan, logan paul, paul ca- yeah. came out with he was had a, a, a pokemon card around his neck as bling because a pokemon card cost one hundred and fifty thousand dollars he spent 150 grand on it. It came, it came out like a necklace. Wow. Back back when Tyson and stuff used to wear whatever, like a chains and stuff, these yeah. guys wearing cards now. Stamps, yeah. I imagine, would have been the equivalent maybe like, say, 50, 100 years ago because of the, the value they had. And, and, of course, because there wasn't anything else to to collect but that. Um, what are stamps like these days, world of stamp collecting? Is this still a thriving industry? Has it Or has it become such more of a smaller kind of secluded part of the collecting world? It's an excellent question, uh, and I, I feel like I'll get flack from uh, uh, philatelists in, in saying this because we definitely, uh, you know, ch- chafed up against some attitudes when we were filming when we asked this question. But um, you know, kids, the 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 kid the kids these days, the the youth, the youth yes. are not collecting uh, stamps. You know, they're collecting Pokemon cards or other things. So stamp collecting because people aren't getting into it uh, because the new generation isn't taking it up. It's kind of dying from, mm. from all we've gathered because that, that industry and that community and that hobby operates on this really interesting agreement of falsehoods, you know, like a, a stamp, a stamp is worth, let's say like 34 cents. Um, that's, that's, that's what it's functional value is. It's like 34 cents. It, you know, sends a piece of mail from one place to the other. But when you gather up enough people that believe that it should be worth more and believe in this delusion and believe in this lie or fable, however you want to spend it, it can be a negative or a positive. Um, It effectively changes the truth of of what the stamp is worth. You know, it it injects this subjectivity um, that like effectively changes the reality of the item between the between the people which we always found to be a really awesome parallel with the story that we were telling because, you know, truth in this story is always so slippery. Um, and it's being filtered from one person to another, to another, and it's just getting its own dose of subjectivity. And so it's, it's difficult to find where the reality is, you know, like Roman tells a story to will, will tells a story to us. We tell a story to the world. And that's like three filters of subjectivity. Um, and the truth is somewhere, in between those three people it's Mm. it's kind of an agreed delusion that we all have but if enough people agree in that delusion just like the value of a stamp it becomes something that's tangibly valuable and effectively real you know Mm. very cool Joe, in the movie, Will has an email from his estranged father, and throughout the film, he refuses to read it. Since the movie's come out, do you have any knowledge that he has read it, or have you or Alex read it yourselves? So after we cut this thing, after we finished the movie, um, Alex and I like went to England to edit this thing just to get out of L.A. for a bit. And um, once we finished it, we sent it to Will for kind of a courtesy approval. And he watched it, said he really liked it. Um, you know, then we made some edits and we sent it back to him. Like, what do you think of this? Watched it again. Um, and then there was a time when I think Alex is already back in New York and I, or LA and I was coming to LA for something and I was going to be here for like a week. Hmm. And we just decided to ask Will one last time if he would read his father's email. And this time he said, yes. 
and we was I, I was not expecting it. So he just came over to my apartment. So we were in kind of a different location than we've ever shot in. And I just rolled it and he read this email that was uh, really beautifully written. His dad was a really smart, smart guy and, and a really good writer. And um, Will was very emotional reading it and couldn't really understand everything he was saying. Um, and he was also reading it really fast. And mm. after he read it, he was tears in his eyes and it was a really powerful moment for, for all of us, very cathartic. And um, as a filmmaker, I asked him to read it again, but slower <laughs> because I wanted to be able to use it. And uh, if, if it worked in the film and he said, no, hmm. that's what we had. So I looked back at it and we, we were kind of trying to, we're in that mode of like, should we go back into edit and like redo the ending and make this, you know, include this, like, what does that do to our ending? And so we put in some, we tried a version of him going off on the boat with reading his dad's email uh, underneath that and couldn't really understand what he was saying. And in the end, we were like, you know what? This ending doesn't need him to read his dad's email. Like mm. him, him going off and, the, and Will's reaction to the, to the email was essentially the same emotional beat that we have of him going off into the, you know, in, in, into the LA Harbor. It's, I don't, I still don't love my dad, but I don't forgive him, you know, and fuck you dad. Hmm. Like it was still, he still had that attitude even after reading that letter. So in my mind, his emotional state hadn't changed. So we decided not to use it uh, both because of the technical aspects of it, but also the emotional aspects of it. Joe, yeah. I got to ask, what was Will's reaction to the movie when he, when he saw it for the first time? He really liked it. I mean, he's, um, you know, I think, I think he liked it for the same reasons that he, he agreed to do it is because, I mean, he, he liked the idea that he was going to be the subject of a documentary. I think that's really what drew him in initially. And, um, and I think he, he enjoyed capturing that period of his life in this like kind of in 90 minutes in a feature film that, is now going to live on forever, just like that, you know? And um, I think he's, he doesn't seem bothered by the light that we put him in. Um, he, he always claims that it's accurate. So, you know, I think, I think we portray him as someone who's really smart, um, a little devious, um, uh, a little shifty, but um, also, you know, caring about, other people's things. Like he, he seemed pretty dedicated to get these stamps back to Roman and eventually does. And, um, well, I, maybe I shouldn't say that. That's okay. <laughs> that might be a spoiler to, to bleep out, but, um, um, but yeah, no, he, he really, he really enjoys it. He's seen it a few times now. Well, I can't wait to watch it again because I think things just a fascinating story. I love the way that it unfolds. I love the craft of it as well. And for everyone out there listening, you can watch The Penny Black online now. You can actually go to thepennyblackmovie.com and they got a watch tab there and um, you can check it out. It's available on Apple TV, iTunes, Vimeo, Prime Video, uh, and, uh, over in the States, Fandango, Google Play. So many places you can watch it. And I recommend people watch it and watch it again because um, I have a feeling that 
there's going to be things in the, I didn't see the first time. I'm going to catch it again in the second because it's just that type of film. And uh, Joe Saunders and Alex Greer, thank you both very much for your time today. And look, congratulations with the movie because uh, that one little hunch that you had, Joe, uh, and, and you both followed uh, led to quite the story and, and quite the film. So congratulations to you both. Thank you.